Amen. Thank you, guys. It is good to worship with the body of Christ. Man, what a privilege to, to be here and to get the privilege of also opening God's word together. That word that is and was and is to come and proves true and truer day by day. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 7, uh, starting that last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, while you're turning there, just maybe a, a brief uh, pastor search update. I, I've updated you from time to time. Uh, we're, let's see, I think somewhere around eight months from having posted the, the position for senior pastor and uh, have had maybe 125 applications, so plenty of applications. Uh, we did have, have one person that didn't, didn't make it as far as coming to, to preach publicly to our body, but did come as far as sort of visiting privately. Uh, he, he wrote after he'd visited that he was really blessed by, by visiting, but ha- felt like this wasn't sort of where the Lord was leading him. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's many, many, but uh, one that we hope the Lord brings to us, we ask the Lord to bring to us. And I just want to, I just want to, <laughs> I'm not sure whether this is an encouragement or a warning, maybe a little of both. So, in my day job over at the university, last year we hired and we Skyped or talked briefly with 25, 30 applicants. We brought um, eight to campus to interview, and we had to get the position filled by August. So, you know, we were bringing two a week at times. You know, you, you do it really quickly. And the reality is we don't, we don't have a... a Deadline. We're not hoping to complete this process by January 31st. We want to take the process as, as slowly, as quickly as the Lord provides, and, and we want to be prayerful and, and cautious. So, um, on the one hand, that's, that's a blessing because, you know, you're not going to have 65 candidates that you're trying to process in a week. On the other hand, this process takes time, and so I just want to... Uh, Thank you, those of you that have been praying for that process, and encourage you that uh, the Lord's timing is perfect. It just sometimes is not my timing. So, uh, with that, let's let's step into the Lord's amazing word. Uh, so we are sort of two thirds through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I want to start out with this graphic image. Imagine you go to the country. And you get out at a farm, and this gentleman greets you. Mm. He might be a little disturbed. I don't know. Or on the other hand, it might be Fall Fest, and this might just be Ryan Nelson with his family. Can we get a hand for the best Halloween costume at Fall Fest? Outstanding, outstanding. And not shockingly, today's topic is do not judge you might not have the full picture. So wait for the family to follow it up. He didn't dress as a stalker, folks. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so do not judge. Uh, You know, it's somehow, you know, it's certainly trending on Twitter, don't judge me or whatever that is. Uh, But let's try to put that in the context of what Jesus is saying. Remember, it's so important you see the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. And so I just want to sort of back up. Remember, Jesus is speaking. He stepped up on a mountain. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to thousands and thousands of people. 
uh, people that are far from the Lord, people that have committed their lives to him. And, and he sort of starts out, and I think it's easy to forget, so I sort of did maybe sort of a refresher. He starts out by saying, this is what, is, what it, it's really a blessing to live like. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, to be blessed in the eyes of the Lord, you don't have to pretend like you have everything together to start with. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not those who think they're righteous already, but those who actually recognize, man, I'm not where I'd like to be. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then he talks about what it means to be invited in as a child of God. He talks about how should followers, children, be in the world. What's it look like to be salt and light? And remember, he talks about God as Father, as your Father in heaven, 17 times. This is a big deal to Jesus, that you would see God as a loving Father. He goes on and he says, how should we interact with God's law? And you might remember, he talks about anger, resentment being the seeds that actually lead to murder. Lust being the seeds that lead to adultery. He talks about falsehood. He talks about turning the other cheek. He talks about what it means to live this life of blessing, of freedom in the Lord that might be surprising. He talks about our private attitudes and how easy it would be to do things that seemingly are religious, like giving to the poor or praying, really hoping other people sort of think, think we're more spiritual for doing it. So he talks about those unseen things in looking to the Lord. And then he talks about interacting with the world. He talks about the fact that it's so tempting to serve, to run after money. It's so tempting to worry about the world holding out on what it has to offer. When your father is good, he loves you, he knows what you need. And then he finishes up this section by talking about judgment. Now, I've told you what it looks to live rightly. You were supposed to be hearing this yourself. You weren't supposed to be hearing this for your neighbor, you know. And so let's, let's open God's word and let's, let's read what he has for us today, starting in Matthew 7.1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's word. And so, obviously, we're not supposed to judge, but I think, I think even in the midst of a pretty simple passage, Jesus is saying the same thing kind of over and over. I think there are sort of three different questions that, that I can easily get hung up on. And in chatting with people, I think it's easy to get hung up on. Um, and the first, the first question, is, as far as at least the way I decided to order it, is sort of this question, or you will be judged. I mean, <laughs> you know, shouldn't it be like maybe a little more gentle? 
Don't judge or you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. I mean, I think often, frankly, we short sell. We, we sort of cut Jesus off mid-sentence. And we don't take the seriousness with which he talks about extending grace to other people. Jesus is really serious about us receiving grace and extending that same grace. And I, I've talked about this before. I think the best way you can sort of ask, now, am I really reading this right, is to look at the context, to look at the, the words around that. That's true of the Bible and, frankly, anything else you're going to read. Read the words around and see what's being said. And Jesus comes back to this point again and again, frankly. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, one of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Again, you've received grace. Are you sharing it? These two things are really connected. Jesus comes back to it in chapter 6. Remember, he finishes up the Lord's Prayer sort of that pinnacle of the whole Sermon on the Mount. And what's the first thing out of his mouth as soon as he finishes teaching us to pray? He says, for if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. In other words, did you grasp this grace that you're being offered? It is not optional to share that forgiveness, to share that grace with others. But if you do not forgive others their sins... Your Father will not forgive your sins. If you do not extend God's grace to other people, one has to ask, have you really experienced that grace? The grace that Jesus Christ offers is so transformative if you experience it fully, you will extend grace. It is not optional. It is not a question mark. It is the attitude. Uh, I think nothing sums it up better than the way Jesus does in Matthew 18. That's the parable of the unmerciful steward. So remember, Jesus says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who comes and he's going to settle accounts with all of his servants. And there's a servant that comes, and his servant owes him 10,000 talents. That's, you know, over a lifetime's wages. And he says, you know, you can't pay. I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell, you know, all your children to pay this debt. And the servant says, please have mercy on me. And this is the parable. The king, of course, is a parable for God, the king of kings. And so in Jesus' parable, Jesus says, the king forgives him. The king wipes that debt away entirely. And yet the unmerciful servant gets up, walks out, and sees a man who owes him, it says, a hundred denarii. That's like one day's wages. And grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. And the, the man says exactly what this man has said to the king. He says, have mercy on me. And the guy says, no, and has him thrown into prison. Well, the king finds out, and the king calls that man back to him and said, I had mercy on you, mercy beyond what you could ever pay. How could you be unmerciful? And he throws him into prison and commands that he be tortured 
And he finishes with this line. This is Jesus' parting line. This is how my Father, my Heavenly Father, will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus is really, really serious about us extending the grace we have received. And so when Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged, we need to examine ourselves as far as the grace we share and ask, am I grasping the forgiveness that I have received? I find it very helpful personally to pause and remember I have never been asked to forgive anywhere near as much as I have been forgiven. That is what we must remember. Jesus has forgiven us. Jesus has paid the penalty for so many wrong things. And I have the privilege of sharing a little piece of that by not judging. So the second question, I think, is, is sort, of a, sort of a funny one. It's, well, what does he mean by not judging? Um, in a way, does it mean not standing in judgment, not like lording it over somebody and saying, well, I'm better than him? I mean, look at what's wrong with him. Uh, or, or sort of, you know, he deserves all of this. Or is it on the other hand, maybe we should be so safe we shouldn't judge at all. You know, maybe you shouldn't judge actions as right or wrong. And certainly, uh, I don't know, <laughs> if you were going to look at trending, you know, hashtag don't judge me and search that, you know, there's all sorts of this, this weird, you know, you can't say that anything is right or wrong. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, and again, I think it's really important you go back to the passage and you simply ask, what do you think Jesus is saying? Is he saying you shouldn't evaluate anything as right or wrong? So let's sort of go back to the passage and say, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Well, think about that. How are you going to recognize there's a plank in your own eye if you're not evaluating whether things are right or wrong? In other words, of course you have to be examining whether things are right or wrong. Jesus is saying don't be primarily concerned with examining other people's rightness and wrongness before the Lord. Recognize right and wrong and judge rightly yourself. In fact, one commentator even suggests that we really should translate this judge rightly. This is about right judgment and wrong judgment, about having a right discernment about what is right. And the challenge here, I mean, Jesus comes back to the same point. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? The problem is somehow sin, our sin, clouds the way that we see other people. It's just so easy to somehow get into this cycle, to get into this cycle of, God, that person is being so inconsiderate. Well, you know, kind of, I would like them to be more considerate of me, right? <laughs> they don't listen well enough. I'd like them to listen to me, right? Um, you know, man, they don't spend their time right. Well, and it's just, 
it's, it's this sort of weird cycle how I can be really sort of high and mighty and, and point out sort of flaws in somebody else. And in some ways, I think it's sort of like this easy out that keeps me from judging rightly myself. And that is the point. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The goal is not to leave your friend with sin. The goal isn't to say, oh yeah, this is fine, let's just imagine there isn't a problem. The goal is to allow that transformation internally so that God's transformation internally with you can speak life, speak grace. You can extend grace the way you've received grace. And this is a really funny spiritual principle, but it's very, very powerful. God says in one place, my strength is made perfect in weakness. How do you bring about repentance in somebody else? Is it by saying, you should repent. You did all of these things wrong. Well, Jesus is saying, maybe that's not sort of your plan A. Plan A is recognizing your brokenness and allowing the, Lord, allowing the Lord to work, not through your having everything together, but working through those who are poor in spirit. And I've, I've got to tell you, this is something, just practically speaking, I have seen to be very true in my own life. That the times when I am broken, I'm penitent, actually the Lord uses that. Probably the longest uh, period of sin in my life was... Uh, Started my freshman year of, of high school. It was pornography. And uh, didn't end really until my first year of college. So that was about five years. And sort of, it, ah, sin is, you know, sin is this, this cancer that sort of wraps around things. And I, I got to tell you, you know, you get free of that. And it's so wonderful to be freed from sin. But it's a little embarrassing. You know, it's a little embarrassing to say, yeah, I've struggled with sin, you know, it's been in my life for years, and, and, and yet, from the moment the Lord freed me from that sin, probably in the next six months, a dozen people the Lord placed in my life to frankly confess that I'd been stuck in sin and been freed, and it was for their freedom, it was for their good. It was because of my weakness that the Lord was able to use me to speak about his freedom, to speak about his kindness. It wasn't me having it all together. It was, in fact, just the opposite and the goodness of the Lord's redemption. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Okay, a third question. What's the pearl and what's the pig? Um, so, I don't know if you've ever sort of read this, you know, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Well, if you, as the commentator I mentioned recommended, if you think of this as God calling us to judge rightly, then this actually makes perfect sense. So the way the Jewish tradition would have understood pearls, pearls would have been sort of like a prime metaphor for sayings or truth that's precious. So 
don't take those sayings, that truth, you know, God's word that is precious, and throw it to whoever these pigs, these dogs are. Now, it's interesting because Jesus makes a little bit of a twist here. Uh, classically, Jews would have thought of dogs as being Gentiles, those people who weren't Jewish. But Jesus actually um, twisted, I believe, here and other places where he, he uses this analogy of, of dogs, of, of pigs, of these animals that aren't clean as anybody who would reject God's good word. In other words, you need to judge rightly. This is not about hiding God's word, but this is about recognizing there are people that are not interested in hearing God's law. And that's not your job, ultimately. Your job is to be open, to be ready to risk, to be ready to share the hope of redemption. But frankly, there are those who have no interest in the things of God. Um, just, just maybe one sort of practical observation. Uh, so I work in academia, and, and on occasion there are people who really want to engage about, does the Bible really say this? Does the Bible really say that? Probably the number one thing is, does the Bible really say that homosexuality is wrong? You know, these sorts of, but there are all sorts of them, you know. What about, what about creation? What about this? And there are exceptions, but typically the way I engage that discussion is this. I'll ask the question, if you became convinced that God's word said something different than you believe, would it make a difference? I think that question is very true for believers too. And I, I pray that my answer is yes. I pray that your answer is yes. If you became convinced God's word said something differently than what you currently believe, would you change your belief to align with God's word? Or are you ultimately setting yourself up as sort of a God because you know best, because you somehow know a little better than the one who created the heavens and the earth? And frankly, if their answer is no, if becoming convinced that God's word says something that they don't believe is not going to change their belief, there's really not a whole lot of point in having that discussion. There's really not a whole lot of point in investing yourself in unfolding that treasure, God's living word, if, if the, the acknowledged intent is not so much to conform ourselves to God's word. God's word is living and active. God's word is powerful, and yet we can resist it. We can ignore it. We can treat that which is precious as not precious. And so that's pretty much it. I was sort of thinking to myself, you know, I mean, I, I think it's pretty straightforward. And so I was sort of trying to sit before the Lord and 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 be open to sort of the, the flow of the passage, because I think most faithfully, as we study God's word, we want to absorb what's there. And I realized that there's actually two central commands in this passage. The first is do not judge. 
But then there's a command, take the plank from your own eye. And it's an interesting thing because as I look at scripture more, I see that pattern again and again. So really what we've been through in the last maybe chapter and a half is Jesus laying out what righteousness looks like and what unrighteousness looks like. And there are a number of lists in the New Testament. So for instance, in Colossians 3, uh, Paul writes about the sinful nature and the fruit that that, that, that uh, brings. Adultery, you know, uh, debauchery, uh, wrath. And then when he ends that list, he pauses and he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's interesting. Because I think it would be really easy to hear a list like this. The same pattern happens in Galatians 5, by the way. There's a list of things that could happen that would be sin. And then it says, don't be conceited. That it would be so easy to sort of be sitting here thinking, man, I hope Aunt Betty's listening to that. You know, oh, guy, I wish my mother, or maybe it's my kid, I wish my kid would take that seriously. It's so easy to hear these things and to sort of pass them off to somebody else. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing, and I believe a real pattern in Scripture. Um, Maybe one of the most famous is in Romans. You know, Paul opens Romans talking about the judgment of God, and he talks about sexual immorality, and he talks about uh, man's lack of thankfulness and lack of submission to God. But then it's interesting. In Romans 2, Paul says this, You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now, do the exact same thing? Usually not. But have, have brokenness in your life? Absolutely. Have brokenness in your life. That's all of us. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you not think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? God's kindness is to lead us to repentance. And this is the remedy for judgment in our lives. It's repentance. And so we're going to close with a time focused on repentance. I'm going to uh, lead you through these two prompts to start with. We're going to have about two minutes of quiet reflection. And then uh, I'm going to come back, read you another scripture. We're going to have about two minutes more of quiet reflection. This is, this is a personal exercise. Um, Jesse is going to be playing quietly, but, but we're going to be opening ourselves before the Lord. This is sort of a process of repentance. Repentance starts with seeing God's standard and inviting the Holy Spirit that the Bible says God sends to everyone who believes. Inviting the Holy Spirit to examine us and to convict where conviction is needed.
And then without making excuses, without making that more, without making that less, confess before the Lord. Lord, I have sinned. Lord, I don't measure up to your good and right standard. I want to flourish by following your way. And so I'm just going to put up some prompts here. This is sort of where Jesus has taken us through so far. This is a call to righteousness. And I'd ask you and I, I will do the same, to take a couple of minutes to silently examine your heart, be open to the Lord's examination in these issues. Jesus calls us to living as God's representatives, being salt and light. He warns us against harboring anger in our heart, against lust, against divorce. He calls us to truth in our words. He warns us against retaliation, calls us to love of our enemies. He warns us against seeking man's approval over God's. He warns us against serving money, against worry. He finally warns us against judgment. That's a long list. And I'd encourage you to simply be still. It might feel just a little awkward to be silent for two minutes, but that's, that's what we're going to do. And it's important to slow down and be open to the Lord using his word to do what only his word can do. Would you pray with me? thank you for giving us your spirit. 
I want to just read you one more passage and remind you that that's not where repentance ends. Repentance literally means turning, changing your mind. And repentance doesn't end with recognizing we're broken. It ends with the Lord's redemption. And so the final steps are turning to the Lord's standard, asking for his help. He is a good father. Like the prodigal son, he runs to those who recognize they are broken. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he fills as only he can. Unlike other people, God doesn't pull far away because we're broken. We can give thanks to him because he loves us. He's not surprised by your brokenness or mine. And we can draw near to him. The author of Hebrews says it this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's take another two minutes to thank the Lord, to ask him to help us to live the full life he invites us to. going to close by giving worship to our good God, but I just want to say a few, a few words to you as the, the worship team comes. It's so hard in our society of everything being loud and immediate feedback to be still before the Lord, but it's important. I hope that we as a body, I hope that my own life reflects times of being still before the Lord and recognizing our need for him and his goodness. It is his kindness that brings us to repentance. I also want to say that if you are struggling with, with sin that, that is overwhelming, we want to, to pray for you. We want to uh, be the body of Christ with you. At the end of the service, if, if you would like prayer for, for sin or frankly for anything else, um, there are going to be a number of people at the front. You're invited to come and 
uh, pray with brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord chooses to be honored when his body gathers together and seeks his face. Pray with me. Oh God, you are absolutely perfect. Your ways are right. Your judgments are good. Thank you for being gracious with us, accepting us, cleansing us by your son's blood, and inviting us to live in your family, not by our own righteousness, but by yours alone. We love you. We worship you. We thank you that you see us as we are. 